0: Well, Chicago had a problem back in the mid-1800s. Chicago was the fastest-growing city in the world, and the people coming in there produced a lot of waste, and they dumped all that waste raw into the Chicago River, and the Chicago River flowed not very far down into Lake Michigan. It dumped into Lake Michigan, and Lake Michigan was the source of Chicago's drinking water. Do you see the problem? So It's like the water cycle gone really bad, and all those people moving into Chicago, uh, they were getting sick, typhoid and cholera, and they had to fix this problem. So they thought of different ways, and they decided they were going to reverse their river. They actually did it. They got it to flow the opposite direction. Instead of flowing into their drinking water source, it flew away from their drinking water source. So Chicago reversed this river, and it's known, the American Society of Engineering has called this feat. I mean, a huge project, all this money. They've called this the Civil Engineering Monument of the Millennium, reversing the flow of their river. And we have have problems, too. We have messy relationships. We have things we dump into those relationships that cycle back and return to us in destructive ways. And we need to reverse the river. So you heard the verse already. Romans 12, verse 18, it says... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So what is supposed to be flowing through that river is peace. But we put all kinds of other stuff in that river, and it destroys the environment, and it destroys us as it comes back. So how do we do that? How do we reverse the river? How do we actually change the course of a relationship and make it flow a different direction and have different results in our life. Uh, that's, a, that's a task for God. That's like the interpersonal monument of the millennium, to be able to change a relationship and bring peace. So we're going to begin with prayer, because that's where we're going today, is peace in our relationships. So just pause with me and invite God's Spirit. Father in heaven, it's way too big for us. Help us be the kind of people who promote peace. Work of miracles in us, uh, everyone has a different story, but there are some rivers that need reverse, and I pray you'd speak powerful conviction to our hearts of how we can contribute to a God-glorifying relationship in whatever particular relationship you want to highlight today. We give this time to you. We give our minds to you. We ask you to speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Romans 12, kind of surrounding that verse, verse 18, we're just going to pick up some some guidance. It's a good chapter to guide us in how to reverse a river. As I've studied, I'm just highlighting three things. So these are three practices we could adopt that are peace-promoting, river-reversing practices. And the first is to lead with love lead with love. We get this in verse 10, Romans 12 verse 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then the verses that follow and come right before it, they describe what that looks like, what it looks like to lead with love. So can you see those on the screen? I'm going to read them if not. One way you lead with love, back up to verse 9, is that it says, love must be genuine. So if you want to reverse the river of a relationship and you think, okay, I'm just going to be loving, going to send cards, going to do these things, that has to be real. And it's only real when it's God's love in us. So it has to be the real thing. God's love has to be coming through us in a genuine way. And then it says, continuing in verse 10, after it says, love one another with brotherly affection, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. So you're seeking to show that person Honor. And we're going to reflect more on these, but just listing these things. These are the ways we might lead with love. Then we meet needs. Verse 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints. Then, even more challenging, just skip down to verse 20. And it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So this is not just meeting needs of those saints you like, (laughs) this is meeting needs of that person who you have a real relational struggle with. And then it encourages us to empathize with them. Look at verse 15. So this is that person that you have a hard time with in relationship. It says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep." And verse 16 encourages us to be humble. It's really hard to like someone who's full of pride. This verse 16 gives us this peace-promoting way of leading with love, it says live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So this list that we find in Romans 12, that's what it means to lead with love. We have something we dump into the river. We contribute to the relationship. Turns out what we put in that river actually impacts how that person responds to us. So if we do these things, if we did that, just that list right there, if we did these behaviors of leading with love, how far would that go to promote peace in your relationships? So leading with love is this ideal. It's preventative. It's the ideal of not dumping sewage into the river in the first place. We don't always accomplish that. But leading with love is a proactive step we take that says before it becomes a problem, I'm going to put only good stuff in that thing that flows between me and somebody else. You know, the trouble is, in the intervention in Chicago, they actually got the river to reverse its flow, but they didn't stop pouring waste into the river. Doesn't that seem like it'd be the first step? Like, if we got a problem, and it's the problem is, is we're using this as an open sewer— The first step would be, let's stop doing that. But it wasn't actually until 1929, so we're talking like four decades later, 1929 that they started treating their waste before dumping it into the river. And we can do all kinds of interventions. We can get really creative with interventions, but if we don't first make a decision to cut off the toxic flow that comes out of us, like we might get applauded for our interventions. Maybe we will get... The course of the river to change, but it's still going to be dirty. So the first step we have to take is I have to choose what I'm going to contribute to this relationship and I'm not going to let pollution come out of me into that. That's leading with love. So this river changed course, but it has to go somewhere, right? It no longer flowed into Lake Michigan, their source of drinking water. They connected it with the Mississippi and it flowed the other direction. Same polluted river, different direction. How do you think the folks downstream felt about that? So there was farmers who filed in, um, for damages because their, their water's polluted. The city of St. Louis filed an injunction that went all the way to the Supreme Court where it was ruled in favor of Chicago. And it was 1911, several decades later. If you don't like gross... Don't listen to me for about three sentences. But there was a scientist working 60 miles southwest of Chicago three decades after completing this river reversal, and he looked at the river as a biologist, he's a biologist, and he wrote down in his notebook what he saw, and here's how he described what was coming downstream. Putrescent masses of soft, graying, blackish, slimy material held together by loosely loose threads of fungi so that's what flowed by all these farmers into other towns at some point we have to decide not just to reverse the river's flow but to reverse the quality of the water we have to actually stop contributing to these things so step number one lead with love i'm going to just stop dumping toxic toxic stuff into this relationship no matter what they're doing I'm just going to stop doing that. Lead with love. leading with love is no guarantee that they're going to reciprocate with love. You could be the most loving person. You could pour love into your relationships. You don't get it back necessarily. But what it does do is it cuts off toxin from you. It also sets an example, a standard, like this is how I'm going to behave, and it's an invitation for them to come and join you. And it's also a boundary. Because you're saying, hey, I'm not afraid to address the conflict, but if we're going to be contributing to the mess, you're gonna go there alone. I'm not going there. That's not somewhere I'm gonna go with you. So you can't guarantee that it's reciprocated, but you can set this boundary for you to say, I'm gonna lead with love, and if you can respond however you want, but this is where I'm going to go. Just take the counsel from Romans twelve, what you see on the screen, what you see in the verse. And imagine, maybe there's someone that you've already thought of, a particular relationship that's struggling for you. And if not, just imagine in general that there's a relationship, and just apply these things to that relationship. So going back to showing honor, outdoing one another in honor. What if you became not competitive with that person, but competitive for that person? You have that person in mind that you don't get along with well? What if you became focused and earnest on how you might show them honor? Fighting for them, thinking how to promote life for them. It says, we meet their needs, contribute to the saints. What if you went out of your way to think about the needs of that person and to meet that need? Would it blow their mind? How far would it go in promoting peace? And then it talks about empathizing with others, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Now, we can't rejoice with everything someone else rejoices with or mourn everything they mourn because our values don't always align. But I bet, if you have a relationship that's not going well, I bet there's something that they have joy in that you could share in that joy with them. You could celebrate with them. There's probably something they have pain in, and you could share in that pain with them. And how far would that go in their life to speak peace? Like, he celebrated my success. He hurt over my hurts. And then it says that, to be humble. What if you could, by God's grace, just eradicate pride from your interaction with that person? It didn't promote self. We're selfless and loving. How far would that go to promote peace with that person you're struggling with? How far would that go to refer reverse not only the the direction of the flow of the river, but uh, the quality of the river that's flowing? So they had to do some cleanup, and their wastewater, their their drinking water was a lot cleaner when when their wastewater wasn't flowing into Michigan. But if you're looking at the overall health, other than getting clean drinking water, they didn't really change the situation. They just changed it for them. So lead with love. Reverse the flow of the river and reverse the quality of the river. And as I think of all these steps that we're going to highlight today, Jesus is the ultimate example. Think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the one who wants peaceful relationships with us, leading with love. The Bible says we love because He first loved us. Scripture tells us that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. We were completely opposed to him, and he led with love. He didn't wait for us to say, yeah, I think I want to join you in that river reversal project. He just said, no, I'm going to lead with love. I'm going to pour out the initiation of love, and I'm going to let them respond however they want to respond. But my response is going to be, or my initiation is going to be, pour love into that relationship. The next one I see in the text is responding with love. So the ideal is not putting that stuff in there in the first place, but maybe you're like 10 steps into responding in bad ways and piling on wrong upon wrong. And at some point, it's not just what we lead with, it's how we respond to things. So I see this in the text in four verses, all of them basically say don't respond to wrong with wrong. So verse verse 14, so different ways of saying when something wrong is done, don't respond with wrong. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So rather than curse those who persecute you, it actually gives an alternative. Bless them. So you have that person in mind that you're struggling with, that God's putting on your heart, that you need to reverse the river with? Bless them. Do not curse. Bless them. Another way of saying don't respond to wrong with wrong is in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So that one's calling us, rather than piling wrong on wrong, it's saying actually give careful consideration to what is good in everyone's eyes. You're not going to meet it because you can't please everyone and, and people have wrong standards, but you could care about them enough to at least try to behave honorably in their sight. And then in verse 19, another way of saying don't respond to wrong with wrong. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room or leave it to the wrath of God. Taking revenge would be wrong with wrong, but the alternative would be to say, God, you're you're the God of justice. I feel wronged here. I'm going to let you take care of this one because I don't want to respond wrong to wrong. And finally, in verse 21, another way of saying it, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's saying not just refraining from bad, but actually responding with love. You know, so much of the bad we do happens in our response just so want to take that to heart. So much of the bad we do happens in our response. So, the peace was not destroyed when the car broke down. It was destroyed when you responded in anger. The anxiety you felt coming to church was not, not because you were late, but because you dwelt on the fact that you were late, and you resented the people around you and blamed it on them. That's where peace was destroyed, is in your response. When you're pushed on the playground, that doesn't cause a fight to break out. That's just an invitation to the fight. The fight breaks out when you push back. There's still an opportunity for peace when your boss offends you, but that opportunity vanishes when you have this passive-aggressive payback that dominates the atmosphere at work for the next month. So peace is in our response our response is the arena where peace is either won or lost did you catch that it's our response This the arena where peace is either won or lost because you can't control what they do you can't control what they dump in the river it's our response to that that really matter, matters so we lead with love well when they do something that's not loving that when they lead with something very different than love how do we respond with love. So more on the Chicago River. They had some other unintended consequences. It wasn't just the pollution that kept going. It was that when they reversed the river, they connected it to the Mississippi, which meant that now the Great Lakes and the Gulf of Mexico were connected. Like the eastern half of the United States now becomes an island there's water continuously through there. So now their human waste issue became an invasive species issue. So I'm not here to judge if their engineering choices were right or wrong, but even though they were trying to do the right thing, our responsives have some unintended consequences. So the most uh, notable of those invasive species is the Asian carp. Asian carp started coming up, and they were threatening the $7 billion dollar industry of fishing in the Great Lakes, so they had to do something about that. They had some good ideas. So how do you respond to wrong? Well here were, the, here were some of the interventions that were proposed and tested in Chicago. So those fish are coming up, we can't let them get in here, so they thought we could build a massive filtration system and just weed out the fish. No fish come through here. And that had some problems. So then they decided We could zap them with radiation. (laughs) And then they decided, you know what we could do? We could actually just dump nitrogen into the water and poison the fish. And I'm not a biologist. But I'm thinking those have some unintended consequences too. Like responding to wrong with wrong. Eventually, they decided on a solution that, that they could all agree on. And Chicago decided to electrocute the river. So just to get the story straight, they used it as an open sewage. Then they reversed this flow, then they electrocuted the river. So they built a series of barriers, electric barriers, and the idea was these electric barriers, um, as the fish would come up, they'd get stopped, and if they made it through one, they'd get stopped at the next. I was reading one site that said it so kindly. It said, the electric barriers are designed to discourage the migration of the Asian carp. If you're swimming along in the river and you get electrocuted... That's discouraging, okay? So they, they don't make it through this barrier. There's enough of them that they don't make it through. But here's the deal. The unintended consequences of our responses have some lingering effects. So if you're thinking about how to respond in a relationship, they're dumping stuff in your river, how are you going to respond? Just know that even the most well-meaning consequences have some unintended, or responses have some unintended consequences. That's why responding with love is so important. To this very day, Asian carp are a headache to the people over there. So they spend $2 billion a year to keep invasive species out of Lake Michigan, out of the Great Lakes, because of this river reversal project. Just this year, January 2021, the governor of Michigan and the governor of Illinois agreed to work together on a project with funding with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, to bring more interventions to keep the Asian carp from threatening the Great Lakes. So among their ideas, their project's going to last until about 2030, is more electric barriers. And then this, this other great idea they're working on, they're going to pump underwater sound into the river and scare the fish away. And then they're going to put an air bubble system where they have to pass through these air bubbles, and the fish don't like too much air, so they won't go through the air bubbles. And if they make it through that, they're going to have a flushing lock. So if they make it through there and lay eggs, they're going to flush all that out downriver. Probably great, helpful ideas to help the environment, but all of that comes from unintended consequences because of our response to a problem. You following me? So here's the point. When someone dumps sewage into the river of your relationship, don't introduce invasive species. When someone introduces an invasive species into your relationship, don't respond by dumping nitrogen into the river. At some point, somebody has to decide, I'm going to respond to the wrong with love. You might be 20 steps into intervention and it just keeps getting worse and worse. At some point, someone's going to have to say this is wrong and it's messed up, but I'm going to stop this cycle and I'm going to respond with love. So responding as love. It does not mean that we just uh, take abuse. The um, Bible's full of boundary-setting principles like Matthew 18. That's pretty bold stuff. It's kind of confrontational. If a brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his sin. Like, you don't just get walked on, but every boundary we set never goes out of the bounds of love. It's all in love. Matthew 18 is in love. Every response I have, even if it's firm or something they don't want to hear, it never crosses the line of not being love. Respond with love. We pile interventions on interventions, and sometimes the problem doesn't go away. It just evolves. Like the way I cook. So I don't use recipes. I don't use utensils for measuring. I, and you know what? Doing it that way speeds things up a whole lot. And it cuts down on dishes. But what happens is sometimes I think I'm sprinkling the salt and I'm actually pouring the salt. Or I just add way too much garlic. And one option of response would be, I messed up. I'm gonna throw it away. I'm gonna start over. I'm gonna feed it to the dog. Um, But I never do that. I never start over. Instead, I quadruple all the other ingredients to balance out the flavor. And sometimes it works. But most often it sends me chasing the problem because my response Uh, just caused another problem. So I end up chasing it because now I have too much water, so I have to add a little more flour. And now I got a little too much flour. And what the end result is, the food is still bad. There's just four times as much of it. (laughs) How we respond matters. So fresh in mind, the illustration of the food and the illustration of the interventions with the carp, think of your relationships and just Tell yourself this, even if you're 10 steps into responding wrong with wrong, here's what you need to do. Make the next response the right response. That's what we need to do. So maybe you, maybe you regret all the other responses you've had, and, you, and you're just never going to get back to where you want to be. Just make the next step the right one. Choose to respond with love in the next response you make. Because the further you go, the problem evolves into a bigger problem. Respond with love. And in in all our interventions, we're going to find some consequences we don't like, and we're going to be able to look back and, and see this chain kinda like David. Remember David's sin with Bathsheba? His response to one sin led to more wrong and more wrong. So Scripture's telling us when you see wrong, don't respond with wrong, respond with love. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example of leading with love. He's our example of responding with love. You know, if you can imagine Jesus for eternity existing, and then at some point in eternity, he's faced with the problem of sin. What are you going to do about this, God? It's not a leading with love thing. This is a responding with love thing. He has to decide what he's going to do with the problem of sin. And he says, I'm going to go down there. And respond with love. And then we beat him, we mocked him, we spit on him, and we killed him. He responded with love. Jesus sets our example and how to respond. When someone else dumps something into your river and your relationships bad, respond with love. Have you ever uh, had a conversation with a child that goes something like this? Well, he started it. You ever have that conversation? And and usually there's, there's, you know, there's some really bad thing they've done and they think they can get out of it by just saying, well, he started it. And then you as the wise, good parents say, I don't care who started it. What you're doing is wrong. Does it really matter who started it when everyone's miserable? It's like if your relationships are broken and everyone's hurting, everyone's miserable, it's not going anywhere well, does it matter who started it? No, what matters is that somebody is going to be Christ-like enough to respond with love. That's what matters. So it doesn't matter where it started, how long it's been going. Next step needs to be the right step. Respond with love. And then finally, we come to verse 18, and here's the third practice we might adopt. And this one's a little shorter, more simple. Just this. Recognize when mutual peace isn't possible. So, to promote peace... We're going to recognize when peace is not possible, right? Here's how that works it says, around the phrase, live peaceably with all, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Aren't you grateful for the Apostles Paul's realism? Like, he didn't leave us in this fairy tale world of relational perfection. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. And here's Here's why we have to take this to heart. We have to recognize when it's not possible. We need to be realist in our relationships. We have to have a a hopeful optimism, but realism. It's because the very pursuit of peace, if it's not possible, can steal our peace and wear us out. Kind of ironic, right? The very determination that I have to get peace with my mom, or I have to have peace with if it's not possible like they're not reciprocating and they they won't do it then you will lose your peace in your effort to bring them into peace and it's better if you can share your peace um, but it's not worth sharing their misery so at some point we have to adjust our expectation and rather than having peace with them we have to be okay with having peace without them it doesn't mean we give up on them and it doesn't mean that we don't have hope that maybe one day um, we're going to reverse that river together. We're going to clean it up. But what it does is it frees us up, and now our peace is not based on everything's okay with them. Our peace is based on, if possible, so far as it depended on me, I did everything I could to live at peace with that person. By the grace of God, I'm, looking, I'm searching my own heart and looking for more ways, but the foundation of our peace is knowing that by the power of Jesus, we did absolutely everything we could and they did not reciprocate. And once again, Jesus is our example. Jesus comes to this earth. He realized what he did for us offers peace to every single person. The offer of peace is given to every person, and then some rejected it. And it hurt his heart. He cried about it. It doesn't feel good when they don't want to. Reverse that river with you. But think of who he is. Scripture tells us, like, he appears before he goes to heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? The one with all authority in heaven and on earth was rejected, and peace wasn't possible with everyone. So what makes us think that we can actually make peace happen with everyone against their will? Like, God didn't choose to do it. He did not choose to violate someone's will. What makes us think we can force someone to have peace with us? So a third peace-promoting practice would be for us to do absolutely everything in our possibility, by the grace of God, to reverse that river and then have peace knowing we've done everything we can do. So all of these are things we can't do on our own. And that's why the first chapters of the book of Romans talk about the gospel over and over again, explains the gospel of Christ changing us, and it gets to verse uh, chapter 12, and it says, therefore, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Leading with love, responding with love, and having the wisdom to recognize when it's not possible, all of that is predicated on us having a new heart in Jesus. Like, we can't lead with love without a converted heart. And so, if you're wanting to reverse that river, like, today's the time to recommit our life to being fully surrendered to God because we cannot change the course of relationships in a God-glorifying way without the power of God. We have to have the Holy Spirit moving through us to change the course of that river. And there's so much good news. The conclusion of all of this comes in the last verse, verse 21. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you claim that for your relationships? Like, I could actually overcome evil with good. So the picture here is that rather than the current, the flow of evil sweeping us over, the goodness of God flows through us and pushes that current back. You think God can do that through you in your relationships? That he's actually more powerful than the struggles you're experiencing? Well, the people of Chicago, believe it or not, after all this slimy talk I've given about their river. There's actually a whole lot of things they appreciate about their river. In fact, they've made some good steps to not just reverse the flow, but reverse the river. So there's this group. I had to write it down because they have quite a name. It's called the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. That's someone works for that place. It has the word reclamation. They're reclaiming something. They are working to reclaim the river. And every single day, they process 1.3 billion gallons of human waste. And they've managed to clean the river to what they believe is cleaner than it's been in 150 years. Hey, there's hope, isn't there? There's hope for our messy relationships. Like maybe you got one where you could give a testimony and you say no this is pretty broken pastor. This is pretty messy. This river is is flooding everything and it's destroying everything in its path. Well there's hope that you can reverse that river in your relationships. And now that river if you look online you'll see people paddling in it and enjoying a time. It's this this beautiful natural setting to the activities of the city. And here's something I found as I was reading about this river this week. I love this picture of Of potential in Jesus. So they still have a habit in Chicago of dumping things into their river, but they don't dump human waste. They dump green dye and they dye the river. So here's a picture. So every St. Patrick's Day, they dump dye into the river. It started back in 1962 and it's green in color. I don't know that it's green environmentally, but they they dye the river. It stays this way for 24-48 hours. And just take in the scene. Here's, here's people gathered there. At one point in time, a century ago, people gathered on the banks of that river and they looked at the water and it was a visible symbol of something threatening their life. They looked at the thing that was threatening their life. And now, every St. Patrick's Day, about a half a million people gather on the banks of the Chicago River and they look at that same water And it's a visible expression of celebration. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God reversing the river? Like, the very disgusting, hard struggle you have in a relationship right now, by the grace of God, could be something you look at in the future and celebrate and worship and praise God for. That's reversing the river. It could be the the biggest cause of your anxiety right now. And maybe God could work a miracle in reversing that river because he loves people and he loves relationships and loves peace, where that, that thing that's the biggest cause of your anxiety could actually become a great source of peace in your life. Just look at this transformation. These people celebrating the water in front of them and know that God can transform the river of your relationships no matter how toxic it might be. This is all included in our series here of God restoring our soul in 10 weeks of summer. Uh, Very few things are more restoring to us than having peace in our relationships. So I invite you this week, we're all going to be thinking about this and praying about this. Let God do a special work in your relationships this week. Reverse the river. Overcome evil with good. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. With all. And let's make these commitments to our God as uh, we have this closing song.